morning. The Bible reading for today is on page 1137 of your brown Bibles you should have on your seat. That's 1137 Romans chapter 12. And we're starting from verse 1, not from verse 3, so from the top. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith, If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's been oh, so nice. <laughs> you said my name and everything. Um, my name is Johnny. Yeah, I'm the, the youth pastor here. A big uh, welcome to church this morning. We're going to be um, going through this passage in Romans 12. And the, the, the title for this message is Building by Being. Building by Being. Over the last three weeks, or last two weeks, this is the third week, Chris has looked at building. And he, first of all, we looked at building by encouragement. 
being a church that encourages people in, in line with Barnabas, a son of encouragement. And last week was building through conversion, seeing lives changed by the message of Jesus. And this week, we're looking at what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus, be who we already are in Jesus. And Jesus says, you are now a son and a daughter. You are a child. It's a present reality. That's who we are. So what does it mean to be who we already are in Jesus? That's what we're going to be looking at here in chapter 12. But as we begin, let's pray. Let's pray that God would illuminate this passage to us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that though so many times we prove ourselves unworthy, you continue to love us. You continue to rejoice in us. You continue to work with us. Father, I pray this morning as we, as we work through this section of your word that you would open our hearts and our minds to it. You would open our ears to hear it. And Father, let this, this message, let your word sink in deep. Let it affect the way we see. Let it affect the way we speak and live. And change us. Change us every day as we become more like your son. Amen. So I said this, this message is going to be called Building by Being. Because ultimately that, that to me is so important. Like if it's like, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's all about, what does it mean to be a Christian? Who are you? What's your identity? What does it mean to be someone that follows Jesus? What does it mean to be someone that goes, yeah, I've been changed by the love of Jesus. I'm living a new life. What does it mean to be that person? What does it mean to be the person that Jesus has called you to be? Because like, you, you can do amazing things. You know, Christians can do amazing things. You could build an incredible church. You could build a great community. You can build a lot of stuff, but if we build stuff in absence of actually being people that are changed, it means nothing. If we haven't really been changed on the inside, if our, if our hearts and our lives don't reflect the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, then all our successes elsewhere, they really pale in comparison because ultimately, Jesus keeps reminding us through his teaching that what matters is the heart. What matters is you, the essence of who you are, your, your soul. What makes you, you, if that has been changed, that's what's important. So what matters as a Christian is being, being changed, being a follower. You notice as we read uh, through chapter 12 and far out, I, I I have no idea how you preach on this passage. <laughs> Is that an okay thing to say as I preach on it? I don't know. Um, but there's just so much in this. Maybe you heard as Alyssa read it. Like, it's just like nonstop, like point after point after point, And all of them are gems. And all of them I could probably go on for an hour about, right? So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and show some self-control. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> but there is so much in this. But it all starts with this preface in verses 1 to 3. And my, my passage here is going to sound a little different. As I said, I'm the, the youth pastor here. And I do all my work for youth in a different translation. I do it all in the NLT, um, which is just slightly colloquialized. 
Is that a word? It's a word now. Um, so it might sound a little different, but it's, it's the same passage. And if you look at verses 1, 1 to 3 with me, this, this beginning, right? you'll see it starts with this appeal to what's come before. It starts with this therefore, or in my translation, it says, and so. And so if you, if you were to read through the previous 11 chapters in Romans, if you were to read through Romans 1 through to 11, you would see this unfolding story of the amazing things that God has done through history. The amazing works of his hands. You would see his grace. You would see his plan and his wisdom. And you would see all that he has done in you. All that he has done through you and is doing through you. All that he has done for you and to you. And all that he has done in this world. You would see that presented through the first 11 chapters. And then you get to chapter 12. And Paul, who writes this letter, is going, So because of that... Because of what Jesus has already done, because of the victory on the cross, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live as a living sacrifice. That's our response. There's God's action, there's our response, is to live as a living sacrifice. And I can't help but think that if you were there in that time and you heard the language of sacrifice, and it would have been something that was quite well known in that culture, the idea of sacrifice, that you would present sacrifice to God or a God or whatever God you followed, you'd present a sacrifice. The idea of a living sacrifice would sound really daft. <laughs> It'd be like, I'm going to give you know, the, the, the best of my flock to God. I'm going to give it as a sacrifice. And by sacrifice, I mean I'm going to keep it alive in my paddock and make lots of money from it. <laughs> it doesn't work. There's no loss if there's no death to that, that animal in that situation. It's not really a sacrifice. So Paul is, is changing this language. He's changing this idea of how we relate to God from being one of death to one of life. It's no longer about the death. Now it's about the life. So be a living sacrifice. This is the way that we worship. This is our true spiritual act of worship is to live as a living sacrifice. And it uses the word spiritual. This is our spiritual act of worship. And I love that because how Paul goes on to describe what it means to have a spiritual act of worship. Because maybe when we hear that word, the spiritual act of worship, we get lost in that idea of you know, that spiritual experience, you know, that, 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 that transcendent moment. What does it mean to be a spiritual person in touch with, with God in the world and in a relationship with him? What does it mean for that to be a spiritual act of worship? And then Paul spells it out for us, and it's, it's incredibly simple. If you look at verse 2, what does it mean to, to live this, this living sacrifice, this spiritual act of worship? Well, simply, verse 2, don't be like everyone else. Be different. Don't be like everyone else. Think differently. Don't be like everyone else. Live differently. You've been changed by the love of Jesus. You are no longer like who you were or who they are. You've been called to live differently. Your spiritual act of worship, your living sacrifice, is to live a different life from now on. Is to think in a different way, not conform to the pattern of the world, but instead transformed. You're different a new creation. Live that out. And then he goes on to explain that. And that's what the next like 19 verses are. Is going, what does it mean every day to live this new life? 
And you'll see as we go through it, it's incredibly normal. Right? It's the moments of our just ordinary life. Paul is saying your spiritual act of worship is, is not this experience. It's actually it's how you hold yourself when you're at work. Like your work life, that, that's, that's part of your, your worship life. Right? You're worshiping God in a way in which you hold yourself, in a way in which you work at work. If you're at school, you, your, your school life, that's part of your, your sacrifice. That's part of your sacrificial life, your sacrificial way of living. Your friends, the way you act with them, your families, the way you interact with them, that's part of your life as a follower. It's all part of this idea of being a living sacrifice, every area. All those ordinary moments of your life, all those little moments in your day, they're there so we can give honor and glory to God. And when we honor God in the little moments of our life, wow, we, we see what it means to live wholeheartedly every area, every day for God. So the next, <laughs> all of it, right? There is so much here, and I'm not going to really try and go through all of it. So I'm, I'm basically, I'm going to read through this. And I'm going to share some thoughts on, on a few of these points. But there is so much here. And I'm going to encourage you to do this at the end, but I'm going to say it now. If, if there's one thing you could take from this, this sermon, it would be for the next week to just meditate through this passage. To just read it to yourself. Start to memorize certain parts of it. And let that, those words that God has written for us start to speak back to you. And speak into your experience. And speak into your your life as you pay attention to the world around you. Let's, let's go through it. So we're going to start, start verse 3, right? So we go, we're now to live as a living sacrifice. This is the way in which we worship him. That looks like not being like everyone else, being different. Okay, so what does it mean to be different? Well, firstly, verse 3, like a big slap in the face. Don't think of yourself as better than you really are. What a great place to start. Don't think of yourself as better than you really are. What I love about that is that he's not saying, think of yourself as lesser than you really are. He doesn't say, take everything that you have in life and talk yourself down and make yourself small and sort of pathetic. And He's not saying that. This isn't to sort of you know, feed this uh, sort of insecurity within us. He's just saying, don't, don't be proud. Don't lift yourself up beyond your station. Acknowledge who you are. It says, think of yourself with a sober mind. Not too high, not too low. Just acknowledging who God's made you to be. And therefore, what we can do is, is we can actually acknowledge the gifts that we've been given. He goes on to talk about the idea of the body and that in the body, that's, that's us as the church, we are a family, we are part of Christ's body. We are many parts, but we belong to each other and we have all been given a gift. Which means as you sit here in this room, God has given you a gift. He's given you a gift. And that gift is to be used. That gift is to be celebrated by the church as you use it to build the church up. And so if you, are, if you are really good at something, it's okay to acknowledge that, that you have been given a gift. You don't use it to lift yourself up over people or to put people down. But there comes a time where if you are really gifted in an area, to accept that, 
to acknowledge that God has given you that gift as a gift, to thank God for it and use it for the church. And he goes on to talk about some of what these gifts might be, and it's not a complete list, but he he mentions a few things. Because if you've been given the gift of prophecy, then prophesy, speak out. If God has given you, you wisdom and words of knowledge for people or encouragement for people, speak that encouragement out. If God has given you a message for someone, speak that, share it. It's a gift God has given you. If you are a gift, you have gifts in teaching, then teach. If your gift is serving, then serve it. If it is giving, then give generously. If you have great leadership, then lead well and understand the responsibility that comes with being a leader. And if you have a gift of showing kindness or showing mercy, do it gladly, cheerfully. And you know how hard that can be. When you're caring for someone, you know, you want to care for them, but sometimes it's a sacrifice, really, isn't it? Like, it's not always easy. And Paul is, is encouraging us, if you are showing kindness, if you are showing mercy, yeah, it's going to be difficult. But do it cheerfully, not spitefully or reluctantly, with a smile on your face, with a deep joy. So don't think of yourself as more than you really are. But also don't run yourself into the ground. Celebrate the gifts that God has given you and use them for the community. It goes on in verse 9. I love this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Isn't that great? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Because if this, if this passage is almost like a manifesto for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to have a, a heart that is changed, right? It's also like the manifesto of God's kingdom, the principles of the kingdom that God has established and is seeing its fulfillment of. The kingdom of God is not built on insincerity. It's not built on insincere love. It's built on genuine, authentic, real love. And so God is calling us in our relationships with each other not to have this false love where we sort of pretend to love people. He's going, no, 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 no. No, God, God, God sees the heart. He can see through those walls and boundaries. And he goes, no, really love each other. Like really love them. None of this pretending. None of this falsehood. None of this fake smile and, and, and fake laughter and... Really, love that person. And if you're like me, like, that sounds really hard. It is really hard, for one, but it sounds really hard. I think it's because we, we have, a, like, a false idea of what it means to really love someone. I think when we, when we think about love, and, and maybe it's because we've been trained this way or taught this way by the world around us, love is often linked to that sort of, I guess, ephemeral moment of feeling love. Right? We relate it to the emotion of love, and I don't want to dismiss that emotion. That's a real part of, of loving someone and being in a loving relationship with someone. But if, if we're judging love purely on that emotional moment, then it's going to be impossible to love everyone really all the time. We don't have within our capacity that much sort of love in that way. But if we start to rethink about the way in which we see love, and we see love not just being this 
emotional response to someone, but actually like an act of commitment to someone, an act of serving someone, an act of listening and caring, an act of praying, that we see love not just being sort of an emotion in the mind or heart, but it's actually being a way of living towards someone, then we can start to see how love can be sincere in all our relationships. And if you're sort of familiar with the, the story of Jesus, right, we can see this love play out in a way in which Jesus responds to us. Because I don't doubt that there were moments when Jesus looked upon people, and I know this in, in like Mark's gospel, someone comes to Jesus, and Mark writes, and Jesus was overwhelmed with love for him. Right? Like there's moments where Jesus feels that emotional love for people, and he's felt that for all of us. But also, we see many times in the story of Jesus and in our own lifetimes when Jesus is super frustrated at us. He's angry at us sometimes. He's saddened by us. He's disheartened by us. And does that mean that when he's experiencing these emotions to us that he doesn't love us? Of course not. He still loves us even when he feels frustrated at us. Even when he's saddened by the way in which we act or treat people, he still loves us. Because love is not just this emotion, this feeling towards someone. It's that deep commitment towards them. And that's why Jesus can love us even when he feels all these other things about us. He still loves us more. So in our relationships... Let's not pretend to love each other. Let's really, really love each other. He goes on, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And, and Christians, sometimes I feel, we, we love talking about how broken and messed up the world is and, and sin and, and all that. And that's true. Like our world is, is messed up. But the biblical story also affirms that there is goodness left in this world. When God made the world, what was his response? It is good. It is good for God so loved this world that he came into it, into the brokenness and darkness. But there is still good here. So hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Celebrate the good in your life. Celebrate the good in others. Celebrate the good of what God is doing in our present age and world. Fleeing from what is evil, clinging to what is good. And take delight in honoring each other. Who here is competitive? Wow, no one. No one's competitive. We have one competitive person. Right, this is specifically aimed for just you, apparently. Um, <laughs> but if any of you are c competitive, uh, the, the ESV has an, a brilliant translation of this line, right? It says, take delight in honoring each other. The ESV says, outdo each other in honoring each other, right? Imagine if our competitive spirit was channeled to outdoing other people in how much honor we gave, and then take the previous point, not fake honor, like really honoring people. Imagine if we could channel that spirit to go, I actually want to honor the people around me. That's what I want to do. I want to honor the people around me. I want to honor their gifts. I want to honor the calling on their life. I want to honor their heart. Wouldn't that be beautiful? To outdo each other in giving honor to each other. Verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. 
Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. That's a beautiful three little. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. These three, these flow together. These are linked, right? And it starts with rejoicing, with rejoicing. And I love it as we come together as a church when we actually rejoice. Or when you see something that God is doing in your life or you learn something about what he's doing, you experience something of that relationship with him and you just overcome with joy and thankfulness for him and all that he is. And you go, God, you are so good and I'm so full of joy that I get to know you, that I get to be a part of what you're doing. That joy, that joy that we have all experienced of God, rejoice in that confident hope that we have. You know, sometimes... We have this moment where, and for some of us it's clearer than others, where we finally grasp or we grasp the gospel. We grasp what it means to have a relationship with God. We grasp what Jesus has done for us. That's a moment of joy, yeah? We experience joy then. And we're overwhelmed by it. And then as we keep living, we know it, we know it, we hear it time and time again, but that joy kind of starts to wane and die out. Paul is saying that hope that we have, the hope of the victory, the hope of the cross of Jesus, the hope of the future that he has paid for us and the kingdom that he has begun, rejoice in that. That is a thing to be overwhelmed with. That is a thing to be full of joy about. Rejoice in what God has done and is doing because it is worthy of joy. Rejoice in what God is doing. And if we are rejoicing in that confident hope that we have, we can go to that second part of being patient in trouble. Because to me, that sounds like a strange mix of words. Right? If you're in trouble, to me that doesn't sound like the time you just sit and be patient. If you're in trouble, that's when you, like, you put one foot in front of the other and you make changes and you do things and you act. It's a time of action. And Paul links it with patience. Having patience in trouble, having an ability to be in a time of affliction and suffering and have a stillness about your spirit and have a peace in your heart and be able to go forward into trouble with patience. Maybe some of us today are in one of those times, we're in a time of trouble and test and it's overwhelming. And we long for that peace in that moment. And Paul says that that's linked one to that joy in hope. Coming back to the hope and message of Jesus. Letting that message sit within us deeply will lead us to patience in trouble. But then also he goes on to say, never stop praying. Keep on praying. How do we experience that patience in trouble, that peace in trouble? It's found in prayer. We pray to God. We lift up our situations to God. We pray towards that confident hope. And in our times of trouble and affliction, we can receive peace and patience and stillness and the strength to know that 
yeah, this sucks. But we have a confident hope that this present situation, this present pain, this isn't a thing that defines my life. This is not the thing that ends and destroys my story. That God has a new story that he is writing, a better story. And this is just part of that journey. And I can be patient in my trouble because I know that I am not at the end. God is still working and it is beautiful. Verse 13. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I love that. Hospitality, it's great. I think some of my favorite memories are like a friend will invite me over to their house or I don't know, anywhere really, and you just sit around and share a meal together. Like the simplicity of it, just with a couple of people that you love, and you sit around, you have a meal, and you share each other's lives. I think some of my best memories are like that, and maybe it's the same for for you guys as well. But Paul is urging us as people that are changed to always practice hospitality. And I think we sometimes get confused about what hospitality is. Some of us think hospitality, okay, I've got to be hospitable. I've got to, you know, clean the house and vacuum all the corners and dust up there. And, and when they come over, I've got to have a perfect dinner spread with like three types of roast bird on it you know like and we've got to do all this stuff because that's what hospitality is it's putting on the biggest feast and that's not what hospitality is hospitality is a posture in our heart of openness where we're going to go my home is not just my place it's a place where I'm going to let people in I'm going to open my doors to my brothers and sisters I'm going to open them up so people can come in and when they're in I'm going to treat them with an open heart I'm going to let my life be open for them. And if your home is a mess, that's fine. It can be a mess. Because there's no point pretending that our lives are anything but messy. Just going, oh, my life's really clean and it's always like this. It's like, no, it's not. We know it's not. And that's okay. And if you're a family out there that has kids, our hospitality can be really hard because... You know, like you've got kids to put to bed and they've probably drawn all over the wall and they've ripped something up and you're, you're having like chicken nuggets for dinner because all you've got in the freezer. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing to share with people. Like, open your homes to that. Like, I for one love chicken nuggets. Like, subtle plug, I will eat your chicken nuggets. Like, but inviting people into like the messiness of it, inviting people into whatever it is that your home looks like and going, I want to have a posture of hospitality. Where anyone in my church, they're, they're welcome in. They're welcome. And I want to share my life with them, what little I have. Anything that I have, I want to share it. I'm going to share the joy of my kids as well. Like, don't deprive everyone else the joy of your children. Right? Like, they're wonderful sometimes. Um, <laughs> always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's hard. Be happy with those who are happy and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I love that. That we as a church, we share in the lives of each other. In the joys, in the trials. We, we, I, 
we share when, when someone something great has happened and we take like Matt's just had this child we celebrate with him we rejoice with him we're stoked for him because he's a part of our family and we're gonna rejoice with those who are rejoicing but also we're gonna understand that it's not just constant rejoicing all the time there's there's hardship and that's a reality for us all and when we're in that moment, we, we don't feel like church isn't a place we can come to because everyone's happy. It's, we can come in that morning, and we know that there's going to be brothers and sisters here that are just going to sit with us, and they're just going to sit in it, and be an arm to cry on. And I love that later on he says in, in 16, I think in the NIV it says, don't be conceited. Here it says, don't think you know it all. That's a wonderful attitude to have, especially if you're sitting with someone who's mourning. Don't think you know it all. Don't come in and go, oh, I, I know the answer to that. Yeah, I can, I can fix that. No, you can't. I think we as Christians, there are things that we can be certain of. We have a certain hope. But this world is far more complex than I think we sometimes understand. And there are many things that we don't know, right? I was trying to explain this to someone in year four, and I used it, the idea of a water bottle in the ocean. You're a water bottle. The world is an ocean. You can't fill up your water bottle and go, I know everything. No, you just know what your brain can comprehend of everything. Like God has given us insights into his plan and who he is, and it's wonderful, but there is so much that we don't know. Let's embrace that uncertainty, trusting what we know about God, trusting his love and his plan. And as we step into that uncertainty, be willing to admit we don't know everything. When we sit with someone who is mourning and in grief, we don't know everything. But I know about Jesus, and I know that I love you, and I'm here for you. Verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. Instead, instead, instead of taking revenge, instead of perpetuating and continuing the cycle of pain and injustice and anger where someone does something against you so you retaliate and then they retaliate and you retaliate, that just creates cycles of damage and circles of, of oppression and, and abuse. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap coals of shame on their heads. And we come to that final verse, the verse that sums it all up. What does it mean as living sacrifices to live differently in this world? Gets summed up in verse 21. Don't let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. Martin Luther King said, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. If we are acting like everyone else, if we are living in the way of darkness and evil, we do nothing but spread the reign of darkness and evil, especially in a place where there should be light. Instead, do good. Conquer evil and darkness by the light that you send out by the good of your life.
you kind of come to the end of that passage, or as we come to the end of that passage, and, and you think, wow, that's, that's a pretty high standard. It is, I guess. But if you, a lot of this, this passage is actually all about the heart. There's not many things here that are like, like actions of do's and don'ts. It's about a heart towards people, towards God, towards his world. And the one thing I, I love about God is that he sees our intent. He sees our intent. He wants people that are pursuing this life. And if you are someone that has been changed by Jesus, someone who is pursuing this, he sees your efforts to pursue it, and he honors that. And yet we stumble, we fall, we don't perfectly fulfill this, and that's okay. Like a child learning to walk, sometimes we fall over, but the father doesn't yell at the child for falling over. He helps the child up and goes, I'm with you. Let's keep walking. Let's keep learning. He's given you each other. He's given us, all of us, to help each other live like this as we build this community by being the people that God has called us to be. So let's keep helping each other and encouraging each other. There is so much in these verses, so much. You could devote your life to discovering the meaning of all of it. So I encourage you this week, I don't know what your usual like, Bible habits are, but maybe this week, you just take this passage, and each night you just read a bit of it, each morning, each day, and you just meditate on it. You just say it over and over again, and you let those words begin to infiltrate your mind and your life, and begin to pay attention to ways in which you can do this, and ways in which you are already doing it, and ways in which other people are doing it, and then honor them in the fact that they're doing it. But let this message sink in deeply by giving it a place in our life every day and then growing, growing in who we are to become like that. I'm going to pray for us as we close. Father, your, your vision for this world is beautiful. The kingdom that you have described to us is wonderful. Father, the, the hope that you have given each of us, Father, it is a joy to behold. Father, I pray for all of us, myself included, as we go from this place together, as we move out of here forward into our lives, into our work, into our school, into our study, into whatever it is that we're doing in our life. Father, that we would understand that all of our life is part of our worship to you and that you would give us wisdom to apply this, all the wisdom of this passage to our life, to our present situations and circumstances. Spirit, please speak to our specific, our specific place that we're in right now, whatever that is. And from these words, Spirit, please give us a message to encourage us, to help us put one foot in front of the other, Keep seeking you. And Father, please help us as a community to be known by the attributes listed here. Amen.